Can you guys hear me? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear yeah. you. You sound very sad back there. Brian, Ben, you can hear me? You should be able to hear me because I'm coming to you on free <laughs> ultra-fast internet. The hotel <laughs> Wi-Fi that doesn't feel like hotel Wi-Fi. Ooh. Wow. You paying extra uh, for that? Uh, no, it's free. Free ultra-fast internet. Someone's That's incredible. You must be like downtown Seattle or some other tech metropolis. Oh boy. If I was, there would be a fucking bar in this hotel. I thought (laughs) ahead enough knowing that there's not going to be, I'm not going to be able to get La Cola in Burlington on my way out of town. I snagged two cases at the PCC, but I I've been picturing getting off work today and going to the hotel bar and just like, making like fast hand gestures at the taps as to give me like three uh, beers that I could take up to my room and record this episode. That is not what's happening. So I'm going to be stone cold sober, but kind of sleepy and irritable because I've been working all day. Uh, I've been doing <laughs> essential work. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. The most essential work. Um, the most important thing honest to God, no shit for our economy right now is advertising and selling trucks. Motherfucking (laughs) trucks. We've got to keep moving these fucking trucks or it all fucking falls apart. That is actually probably not far from the truth. (laughs) Trucks are the linchpin of our economy. Everyone says that. So, no, they, they really are. Like, look, you know, one of the main things we actually still manufacture in America is cars. One of the things that the biggest ticket item anyone really buys outside of a house is a car, and everyone needs a car. You need a car to do anything in this life, and to look the economy cool. the economy needs you to need a car because it's how it's half the fucking reason everyone's so poor, right? You need this absurd, um, expensive thing just to live, and you go into debt for it. And, is this how you're uh, framing in the advertising? <laughs> yeah, yeah, is yeah, this yeah. the taste of the commercial? <laughs> no, so what's funny about that is like, so, okay, during COVID, of course, as production, as commercial production has ramped up again, like it's coming back, everything's even smaller than it was, say, in 2019. All concepts are like pared down to nothing. And this is after like the last, you know, 10 years where between just like the full total uh subsumption of digital photography into the industry then with just the sort of social media how social media has video has shaped all filmed media to where like basically you can shoot a commercial on a phone and people often do for major Mm -hmm. companies and products because it matches the look you're going for right like Mm -hmm. native content kind of uh social look the one and so over the 10 years like commercials have just overall gotten way smaller way cheaper way less um like high concepts like just very simplified to where you know there's it's just that much less work basically for people like me but the thing that has remained fucking untouched and the only thing is the great american car commercial (laughs) as all as everything else has gone just smaller and smaller simpler and simpler the last thing that remains the last commercials 
just about the only thing left in the world besides like big tentpole films shot by like three directors that people actually shoot on film is car commercials. Not all of them still do that, but some of the, I've worked in the last few years on car commercials that shot on 35 and 16. Um, I don't know if this one is, it's probably digital. A lot of them are now digital, but the point is like, that is the absurdity of these things because, and, and this is like this huge, there's probably like 200 people working on this thing. Um, today I, I, you know, I don't usually work with the art department, but sometimes if my art department friends just like want like a cool guy, party animal vibe in with their crew, like (laughs) they call call me. Yeah. Yeah. They call me. And so today I was helping disassemble a log cabin that was built over the last few days at a place that has logs. We disassembled it, loaded it onto a truck, and it's going to be built over the next few days in this. I'm piecing this together just based on context that this is a truck commercial because that's where we're going to be up in like Mount Baker, like Sunset Highway, I'm guessing, because I'm in Burlington. Again, I know nothing. I just have done this before. So it's going to be a truck commercial with like scenic vistas in the truck, like going over the road with the mountains. Going vroom, vroom, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's going to be hauling logs for this log cabin and like being built in the commercial, you know, like the guy with the truck um, is going to be building the log cabin in the mountains with his truck. You know, like you can see, I can already <sighs> see like the slow-mo oh, logs, no. like hitting the bed <laughs> of the truck and like the sawdust oh, yeah. is going. And then like, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and the thing is what I'm, I'm trying to impart to you is this is evidence of how like crucial this how fucking fucked and stupid cars are how fucked our uh transportation economy is and like how crucial it must be to maintain this insane poisonous facade because they do not spend this much money to advertise anything else nothing in the world uh is advertised (laughs) in this way this we are making like probably a two-minute worth of feature film uh like tentpole like marv like this they'll have better production quality and look better than a marvel movie for it's for it's like <laughs> two minutes you know it looks um, completely divorced from reality i i expend my, me and my wife expend so much effort to not watch ads to never be marketed or advertised to ever we don't we don't want it and uh recently we've been watching a series um on a channel where we can't avoid the ads and so naturally we're like watching a bunch of ads that we have not seen in years. I don't know what advertising is like anymore. And everything is a Facebook ad. Everything is a Facebook mm-hmm. ad uploaded to a TV screen where some of it is just like a YouTube reviewer talking about it. And on the other half of the screen is, you know, subtitles. It's like a lyric music video. And the only standout from all of the commercials that I am forced to endure or car commercials, yep. full production value. <laughs> they have not changed. They are exactly the same yep. as they were. Exactly and it's completely divorced of reality because like, I'm sure to the mass market of, of people who are looking for cars, uh, as you point out, Greg, I'm buying it because I need it. I'm not going out there like being, you know, like, oh, gee, like I don't have a new um, Mazda CRX. I need to go out right. and like, you know, get myself 20K in debt to get one of those. Well, no, I'm buying it because I need it and there's no other way to get around. But yeah, but they have to sell you the illusion that 
you do actually need to pay this absurd amount of money for a car. You know, whatever it is, you're watching. They're sell, they're putting these car commercials on TV so that you feel better about dropping ten grand on a used car when you do it. You know, just to keep this shit fucking moving because like it's insane. Like people hate cars. They must just based on this alone, the amount of money they, and time they put in these car commercials. People must hate cars at this point. Must actually <laughs> despise them and how much money they put into them. Well. Uh, every year I forget commercials exist and then the NFL season starts again. And then I am forced <laughs> to watch them in all their horrifying glory. And uh, I can say that at least for Greg, I'm very happy because, uh, you know, not a lot of people know, but Greg's the one who reads the inspirational civil rights leader quotes at the end of uh, any car commercial. So <laughs> no, I'm starstruck. <laughs> I've always wanted to meet that guy. Hey man. Yep. Yeah, MLK convinced me to buy a pickup. <laughs> you know, All right, well, let's... directors have said, "Greg, you should get into voice work." And I'm like, "You can hire me anytime. I'm not putting any effort into like." <laughs> Greg's a like, like this. Greg just starts going, "What is a farmer? A farmer is." <laughs> <laughs> What is a farmer? <laughs> That's my cold I'm immediately immersed. Yeah. Welcome back to the Seattle Sucks podcast. Uh, Greg asking the eternal question, what is a farmer? Who knows? Um, What is a truck? (laughs) Nobody knows either. Uh, So it's me. It's Greg. Greg is uh, reporting on location at the uh, hotel bar at the Holiday Inn. And uh, I wish, dude. (laughs) and uh this show which is known to you know only uh promote crank thought uh we've brought a fellow crank on from everett washington uh who uh is helping keep us up with the snohomish news snohomish county news up there ben carpelman how are you doing man i'm doing well thank you for having me on uh live from exotic everett as they call it. <laughs> that, that is, my experience every time I go up there is uh, exotic Everett. That's for I, sure. Absolutely. I through Everett today. Well, how about that? Well, you know, I tell everybody, you know, you have not been through downtown Everett um, once until you've heard someone somewhere off in the distance just yelling incoherently at something. And that's that's how I know I'm home. <laughs> that, that is true. I mean, uh as much as the Seattle is dying, folks like to claim that poverty only exists in the city of Seattle, the like what second wealthiest city in the country. Uh, Everett really is like the stand in for the exurban poverty that exists in America. Right. And like, absolutely. Um, I want to say like in April or May, uh, Snohomish County had the highest unemployment rate of any County in the state. We, we topped it out as something like one in eight people were unemployed at that point uh it it really is uh a really deep well of poverty here that is just ignored and glossed over and it just gets completely sucked into the politics of seattle where everyone doesn't want to be seattle or do what seattle did liberals and conservatives alike yeah 
Yeah. Well, and uh, things are about to get a lot better in Everett because uh, big big news, everybody. Uh, Everett's major employer, Boeing, is moving one of their lines, one of their production lines, fully to South Carolina, a thing that was completely unpredictable from anybody watching the news for 10 years. Um, how do you think that's going to help, Ben? Uh, well, I think it is uh, obviously not going to help. It's going to be uh, capital V, be very bad. It's going to be very bad yeah. for the community. Um, and all of the leadership around here seems to be in this delusion that uh, this is just a temporary setback for the economic growth in the area. Uh, a lot of the reactions <laughs> were... Uh, we're disappointed. Uh, we'll get the production back. We are an aerospace hub. We'll get the next big jet airliner. And they really do not seem to be living in the reality, which is it's not coming back. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And uh, Boeing are not people you can trust. And I don't know what about the last 25 years you can look at and say, yeah, those Boeing folks, real reliable people. You know, they when they tell us they're going to stick around and uh, build more jobs, they're going to do it. And it's going to be great and everyone's going to prosper. And uh, the feeling now is no different than at any other time where Boeing has uh, betrayed Everett, betrayed Washington State, where all the leaders just say, well, darn, I guess we'll have to do better next time. Yeah, they're not continuing their obviously sound and definitely long term plan of assembling the same plane in two different locations a country apart like that they fly so across the country in giant planes yeah it seems yeah. completely reasonable right like like that that was just going to continue forever and they they never you know god when they opened up in uh south carolina they never intended to pull all of no. that production there i mean yeah how how dare you thing. consider that yeah yeah and i mean in it is Worth noting that you know there's a sort of timeline here, which was that in 2003, the state of Washington, when, when Boeing came up with the harebrained idea of the 787, the state of Washington literally just gave Boeing 3.2 billion dollars on the like wink and a smile that Boeing would keep its production in the state of Washington, right? You know the honor system, of course. Yeah, yeah, and here we are in year uh, I think. Eight of uh, 787 production and it's gone. <laughs> well, I'm sure that you know, worked just... out really well. Great return on investment. And uh, judging from the reactions of uh, everyone in charge, um, you know, they weren't bothered. Sounds like fine. We'll just do it again. Yeah. Well, what I've really learned is that actually uh, Washington just needs to have a more business friendly environment. That that seems to be the message that we're getting. I, I have to say that reaction alone has really occupied a lot of time uh, using my screaming bag. I, I can't I cannot understand what what makes it more business friendly. We don't have a capital gains tax. We don't have an income tax. We just hand money to these corporations. Our, our politicians do everything they possibly can to win their favor, to listen to them. Uh, for instance, um, Everett Mayor Cassie Franklin is a regular attendee to air shows where Boeing executives are so she can woo them that Everett is the best place to stay. Well, that worked out really well. Um, <laughs> like they, they will do anything that they possibly can to appease like basically five executives to keeping jobs here. And no matter what, how much they spit in their faces, they'll just keep doing it. And um, to see them repeatedly eat shit and then only face uh, comments of, well, you're just not business friendly enough. And them going, maybe you're right is, is <laughs> absolutely insane. 
the elephant in the room here, or I guess like devil's advocate, there is one thing. I mean, yes, this is Washington state is, you know, has no taxes on these people. It bends over backwards. And there've been these, that none of that even fucking matters because there's been these insane giveaways to Boeing in particular, but there is one thing. And that's that there is a historically militant union here that Mm -hmm. works at Boeing on these lines. And that's really all that matters, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing. The I am local 751, right? Uh, which, you know, uh, as we're saying, we the state of Washington gave Boeing $3.2 billion to keep the 787 in Washington. And by 2009, when the 787 was even just first coming into being a thought in production, they already had bought a plant in South Carolina and were basically openly saying, uh, we're going we're gonna to start building stuff over there just in case there's production disruptions in, in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, no, it, it, the attitude is almost like nobody saw it coming. And I think it just reveals how naive a lot of the political, political leadership is around here, that they, they have no long-term vision. They don't think more than a year or two in advance or don't think realistically to what Boeing really is, which is this big financial product, like slime monster that is just building planes as financial products. That's all it is now. It's just ways for them to generate profit and boosting their uh, their stocks so they could just pay it out to their executives later. And it seems everyone can see that except the people in power. And they just believe some through some naive nostalgia that Boeing is this like, good old boys company that's just here to build some planes yeah you know i used to uh always have this thing whenever i train you know new workers i'd always give them this sort of joke i'd ask you know what it, what does boeing make because i worked for one of the feudals uh subsidiaries of boeing <laughs> i was like what does boeing make and they'd always say planes i go no nah, man they make money <laughs> all right like <laughs> if you think that this is about making planes you my friend are sorely mistaken <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the 787 program is completely a product of the financialization of Boeing. And you can see that from start to finish, from the tax breaks to how they repeatedly try to fuck over organized labor through the manufacturing of that one product. From The whole project was conceived as a way for these new executives after the merger with McDonnell Douglas. How can we produce a product that doesn't have to work really well, but makes us look really good. And boom, you get the 787. Well, yeah. So then that's a question I have then. So we've talked about over the last year, a lot about Boeing in relation to the 737 Max, the one that falls out of the sky and that they will probably never sell again. Uh, and right, that's just taking up Moses Lake property at the moment. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about their like insane stock buyback, um, insanity and we've talked about this the massive subsidies from the state of washington that i'm sure we will cover more again today but maybe since this the newest story here is about the 787 maybe can one of you tell me what the hell is the 787 and like why it is especially related to the like post mcdonald douglas douglas big business practices of boeing i i well i can say from from at least my perspective, I don't have much like in-depth detail knowledge about the planning of the aircraft, more of like the mechanics of it, more so than it was a 
like this future airplane, this twin engine jet that could fly insane distances that the triple seven or the seven four seven could uh, run those long routes, but from a much more economical, fuel efficient plane that was going to use new engine technology that was not only more efficient but quieter. Uh, there was a lot of PR I remember around the ring, uh, the ring, the wing composition and construction that was made from these futuristic light materials that's going to let it go super long distances. And it was a bunch of new technology crammed into an aircraft. It was supposed to be the 21st century uh, magical luxury airliner. That's why it's called the Dreamliner. And I feel like Boeing used it as an experiment to see what can we get away with? What new tech infusions can we put into basically our existing products and market it as this new revolutionary um, idea and wring out as much money from public goods as we possibly can with the tax breaks? How can we leverage that to fuck over organized labor through the manufacturing process, which by that point, Boeing was already experts at how to diversify production across the country in order to maintain political leverage. Uh, They definitely did that with the 787. And the results of that were, you know, catastrophic failures. It's a lot like the 737, where when the 787 was first flying, their batteries kept catching on fire. And it turned out a lot of that were defects from their new South Carolina non-unionized plant. And they just, the batteries just kept catching on fire. And so they had to ground all of them, replace all the batteries through a big catastrophe, much like what happened to the 737. And in the congressional review afterwards, you can see during the hearings, they clearly identify, um, our own representative, Rick Larson, clearly identified, oh, there were problems with the certification process. There were <laughs> Boeing representatives who were acting as FAA officials, self-certifying the new technologies, like the batteries, that were going on board this aircraft, and they just said, yeah, it's good. And that a lot of the defects came from subcontractors who weren't really good at quality control and the certifying officials just let that through, if that sounds familiar to you. So (laughs) Boeing already did this in Congress and the aviation subcommittee chaired by our own Rick Larson already knew what caused these problems for these batteries catching fire. Thankfully, no planes fell out of the sky, but you know, how long would that have taken at that rate? Um, And they did nothing about it. And Boeing realized, oh, we can get away with a lot. We can put a lot of new bullshit in our planes and get it through the certification process and sell these suckers and no one's going to do anything about it. And so their next big project with the 737 did exactly that, except this time, instead of just the planes catching fire, they fell out of sky and killed hundreds of people, which is a bit harder to cover up, Um, but not to Boeing's uh, efforts to try to do so. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about the 77, when you talk about being a completely like financialized product, I mean, the rollout was one of the most interesting things in that it really in every way mimicked a Silicon Valley rollout, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is, they rolled out the idea first in order for investors to get excited and give them money, right? That's and the right. idea the idea was we'll build a carbon fiber plane with, you know, this new rev- you know, revolutionary composite technology and uh, it'll have much better, you know, fuel mileage and blah, 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 all this stuff. They had no idea how they were going to do any of that. 
but they knew that it would draw in investment. And they actually had a record uh, amount of pre-order sales, which then turned out to be a real, you know, uh, like sort of weight, <laughs> like anchor around Boeing's neck when they couldn't actually make the fucking plane. Uh, and then when the plane was made, of course, it couldn't meet any of the promises that they had made. <sighs> But it, it was fascinating. I mean, it was it was a pure Silicon Valley fucking uh, cash grab to enrich stockholders right then in the moment. And then we'll worry about making it later. And of course, when it gets to the point of making it, they just cut every corner because they were already behind. And it was, it's a fascinating story. I mean, everything from trying to build a composite wing box that completely cracked in half whenever the wings were under stress, which ended up being a big problem. So yeah, the batteries, that battery issue was the largest grounding of any commercial airline airliner, like as far as the number of planes grounded until the 737 max. Right. Until their next experiment was trying the exact <laughs> same over again. And when they realized, Oh, we just got out by just the, the hair on our skin. So maybe the next time we'll be just as lucky. And you see this formula repeat a whole lot. They're always trying to top themselves. Yeah. And look, I mean, and to give you an idea of like the sort of process of this, let me read you just a little bit of an article from uh, December of 2019 called Boeing Remove. It's from the Business Insider and it's Boeing removed a feature that protects its 787 planes during lightning strikes as a cost cutting measure. All right. So. Uh, Boeing designed the Dreamliner, which first started flying in 2009 with both an insulating cap and the copper foil on the wings to protect the plane during lightning strikes. But Boeing quietly stopped adding the insulating caps five years ago and stopped adding the copper foil in March of this year. Uh, The FAA first rejected Boeing's proposal to remove the foil in February, according to the Seattle Times. It then ruled that Boeing had not shown that the fuel tank igniting when it was hit by lightning was, quote, extremely improbable i'm glad that's the metric (laughs) by the way (laughs) but the times reported that around 40 sets of the plane's wings had already been built without the foil at that stage defazio yeah yeah whoops defazio said in his november letter quote if accurate that is an astonishing fact that suggests either willful neglect of the federal aviation regulatory structure or an oversight system in need of desperate repair how can people at this point not know that that is intentional, that that is by design? You don't build 40 of something by mistake, 40 giant wings that are like bigger than a house. Oh, shit, we fucked up. Um, I don't know how that could have been missed. Oops, well, our bad. And so what ended up happening of this whole thing with the, you know, uh, the sort of lightning strike stuff, what ended up happening was Boeing then appealed the FAA's decision that, you know, what they did was wrong. And the FAA said, ah, fuck it, and reverse their decision (laughs) and let Boeing continue to evaluate the safety of the planes on their own. Um, But this is, I mean, look, if you look up 787, you know, doubt, you know, 787 groundings, things like that, you'll find these stories everywhere. This is just one random story I found today, right? (laughs) Right. They they lay all over the place. And so it is so easy to just like at a cursory glance, just a few Google searches, get an idea like, oh, these, these guys are profit hungry sickos and they'll just do anything to cut corners and to make more money or to do things they think will make them more money, whatever. It doesn't matter. And, uh, uh, nobody seems to think that it's indicative of what this company does, of, of mm-hmm. any sort of future actions. And the, the leadership around here definitely has that impression. This just blows them right by. Um, Boeing's next big product, the uh, new 777 
a plane that has the like wingtips that fold out. Um, mm. I, I recall a few years ago, um, Everett Mayor Cassie Franklin on her first State of the City address in 2018 dedicated, I want to say like 45 seconds of her speech to just a straight up pitch to Boeing executives to say, build this plane in our city, please. And just highlighted all the uh, the technical new parts that they added to it. The folding wing tips are really cool. They have the new wings and the big engines. They're going to go really far and we're <laughs> going to build it here. But it, it goes beyond that. Like she was so far bought into this delusion that Boeing has the best interest of the workers in mind and the communities that they serve in mind or that um, when she was asked about Everett's low weight of homeownership, which is, I believe, one of the lowest in the county, uh, she said, well, we also need to have housing for the executives of Boeing who like the beauty of this region. We have some neighborhoods that are just beautiful. So like the delusion goes so far. It's not just like we want to attract the construction of these new tech-infused airplanes. It's we want to construct an entire city's policy around courting you in, in the executives that we believe make this happen. Yeah, and it's it's worth noting that really only until very recently has Seattle also not been 100% dependent on Boeing and constantly doing the same shuffle. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I think for people in Seattle, it's probably a little hard to wrap their head around uh, how many people work at Boeing. <laughs> You're talking tens of thousands of people <laughs> working yeah. at uh, I think it's 17,000 uh, IAM members at Everett alone, right? And the Boeing, the Everett plant's the biggest Boeing plant, but there's also an enormous plant in Renton. There's mm-hmm. a giant machine shop in Auburn. And of course, there's the now decaying Seattle uh, facility. But, you know, it it is this astonishing thing that like in some uh, in some way you could make the argument that like, well, the mayor and the governor's office or whatever are right like uh boeing really does like Bo- boeing is a terrorist willing to blow up the whole building and we mm-hmm. have to negotiate <laughs> absolutely and there's a lot of collateral from that since the announcement of the 787 co- uh, consolidation in south carolina the port of everett has been freaking out uh because something like 40 percent of their exports are related something to do with aerospace with boeing and if that disappears the port it makes no money. There's they, they have to make significant cuts to their operations because basically the Port of Everett was built for Boeing and Boeing yeah. doesn't care to burn that down because it's not in their interest to maintain. They have no connection to that. They don't give a shit. It's not mm-hmm. about community to them. You know, they, they don't the executives aren't thinking, wow, you know, about half of Snohomish County's jobs are linked to our one company. Yeah, fuck that. Like we we really need to make the stocks like really great the next quarter. We're really under pressure from our stockholders to deliver a good dividend to them. They don't give a shit. And it's it's amazing to me after through all this, everything that is threatened, everything that's on the line, that the strongest language language that they can conjure to this is we're disappointed. Yeah. 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 Well, and I'm- well, these are the subsidies that in addition to the billions that we'll talk about that have just been given directly to them in a check from the state it's all the infrastructure public infrastructure that has been built basically this entire region is public infrastructure that has been built in some large percentage to service boeing you talked about the port of everett but it's all the ports here it's the fucking airfields those are like at their facilities are county air there's yeah Mm -hmm. field and boeing field are county airports that have been developed with public money that 
Boeing has their facilities next to so they can use them and they exist at the size and scale that they do for Boeing that Boeing didn't fucking pay for. You know what I mean? Like, no, and you'd think that make you a little bit more angry. Um, State Route 526 here is named the Boeing Freeway. It's a freeway yeah. constructed entirely for Boeing's uh, Everett plant. Um, but the county doesn't necessarily care. Um, for the county-owned Payne Field, which is really the Snohomish County Municipal Airport, they gave it away to a Wall Street private equity firm called Propeller Airports, which on their about page says they're inspired by Margaret Thatcher's privatization of the UK airports. Hell yeah. And they gave them a 49-year lease, 39, 49-year lease, where all they have to pay is $400,000 a year to the county, and the county gets one percent of ticket sales to that private terminal and that's on that's on their airport like the county's leadership does not care about the preservation of any of their infrastructure no matter what private hands rip it apart for profit um they are totally on board with this because many of them are subscribing to the neoliberal belief that this is going to help people yeah well, well, an idea. Whatever help people or not, it is the it is what is right. It is the inevitable, just march of progress that we privatize everything for whatever like sick, ideological, fucked up, perverted reasons they have in their head. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Do they think they're helping anybody? Do they think it's? I mean, you know. I mean, you I, wonder. I our political class, even at the local level, is mostly about like helping people. They're they're no small time careerists who just see that this is the path to wherever their next gig is. You know exactly the the pain field terminal. F- for example, was proposed, I want to say in 2014, years and years ago, and the political class immediately got behind it. Um, Congress member Clarkson was a big booster of opening Painfield to that private terminal. Um, and you see the executive of Propeller Airports, who owns the terminal, maxing out to Rick Larson's campaign. Uh, donating uh, to Mayor Cassie Franklin's campaign, throwing his political money around to make sure that his private equity firm got ownership of the passenger terminal at Payne Field, a county airport. They, they made dead set that that was going to happen. And uh, I think the local officials saw it as uh, a way for them to get money and to get prestige and to get credit for something that they ultimately didn't really have to do. They just get to give away and let someone else deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, did and obviously the airfield has been there and been developed for a long time. Uh, did they? Who built the terminal itself? Like it's a nice new high tech airport building. I'm I'm unsure of the construction firm who physically built it, but it, it is owned and operated by Propeller Airports, which is a private equity firm literally located on Wall Street, New York. Yeah, yeah, and and Boeing Field. I mean, we call the King County Airport Boeing Field, like. Boeing field like but they didn't like it is a that is a a public airport that they just use constantly right it's treated like Boeing property yeah 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 and Boeing property that uh just like the actual Boeing property they don't pay anything for because they also are tax you know property tax exempt in a state that you know property tax is a big part of its revenue uh Boeing pays nothing I mean it's it's really astonishing the level of essentially parasitic theft that Boeing engages in, right? And to give an idea of maybe how this happens at the state level, 
when Boeing, you know, in 2003, when they got that $3.2 billion uh, just giveaway, that was the biggest in U.S. history, which was then surpassed in 2014 when, you know, in order to keep the 77X project, which you had mentioned earlier in Washington, this again with a complete no no, uh, nothing holding Boeing to the fire on this complete gentleman's agreement. Uh, the state of Washington gave Boeing $8.7 billion. And the guy who wrote that for Jay Inslee, who is one of Jay Inslee's financial advisors and the head of the Office of Financial Management, was a guy named David Schumacher, who prior to that had been a Boeing lobbyist and after that became a Boeing lobbyist. <laughs> and it's this sort of fascinating thing. I mean, we have this article up on The Freak that people can look through. But, you know, at a time when, you know, the IAM was, you know, trying to activate the NLRB, the National Labor Review Board, to sue Boeing, fucking Boeing had like five people in the Obama administration, including the guy they were trying to shove onto the National Labor Review Board. I mean, so part of this, too, is that, uh, you know, Boeing's fingers are in all the pies, right? Their men are everywhere. Absolutely. And that is shown so much in Everett City politics, where I want to say all but one members of the city council have received political donations from Boeing. All but one. And Mm -hmm. Mayor Cassie, she also has gotten money from Boeing and specifically donations from somebody who listed themselves as a Boeing lobbyist. So they run thousands of dollars every year through our city's politics. And I have no doubt that uh, next year, when um, the when local elections are happening, that Boeing is also going to infuse thousands of dollars into their preferred candidate, so that way nobody in city government is so uh, adversarial to them that they start demanding things from them to make up for Everett's budget shortfall or to maybe pay back some of the land and facilities that they use and the city limits that they don't pay any taxes on. So that way we could, I don't know fun social services that the mayor is giving away. Um, So they they invest a lot of money and a lot of time into making sure that at all levels of government, nobody's there that strongly opposes them too much. Yeah, which is what you do with your money when you're not paying taxes, right? You know, I mean, and, and it's the thing you should expect rich people to do, too. I mean, this is why, like, democracy doesn't work when there's wealth inequality, right? Is that they're instantly going to convert their money into political power. And with, you know, the case of political leaders in the state of Washington and Boeing, you know, we see on one hand the complete just, I think, actual lack of vision on their part to even... Mm-hmm imagine a world where they don't just give up the store to every company that threatens them. Uh, But also the fact that they receive direct payments from Boeing and the fact that there's always the dream of that job, which Boeing hands out, but that job after politics, right? Where you can become a Boeing lobbyist or some other make work job where you just sit around and collect a paycheck from one of the world's biggest companies. Yeah. And and if not Boeing directly, then mm -hmm. one of the many aviation or aerospace linked industry associations, which also dole out hundreds of thousands of dollars in lobbying to Congress and other officials in order to have policies favorable to them. So it doesn't have to be Boeing directly, Mm -hmm. but if Boeing can get you a good word in with some like industry insiders, then, you know, you're made. Yeah. And, you know, in really, you know, Greg sort of alluded to this earlier, but really in the state of Washington, the only thing that we've had sort of standing against the monolith over at Boeing is that there is a particularly militant, uh, particularly the machinist union, a particularly militant union at Boeing here and the IAM Local 751. 
And that is the exact reason for the move to South Carolina is to try and gut that fucking union, right? The last, mm-hmm. the last thing that keeps Boeing from just getting whatever it wants in this state, they want to fucking gut it. And nobody's behind them at all. Yeah. You could go and look at the rhetoric that um, I am 751 uh, in their statement had, and it was much sharper than anybody in power with any authority to do anything at all. Um, from the mayor to the congressman, it was just, it was like a disappointed parent, just like scolding yeah. their kid for saying, well, you know, I'm not mad, but I'm disappointed with you. We'll get you next time. And like, there's no anger and i don't think they fully understand that this is a this is a harbinger it's not just like a temporary setback it's it's a sign of things to come boeing's going to continue to do this they're going to continue to consolidate like air travel demand is not going to increase the world is not going to need more airplanes and if they do mm-hmm. we're fucked we shouldn't be making more airplanes and nobody top to bottom seems to understand that fact and just thinks we're going to produce aircraft until the 2050s and that is just going to be great and we'll just return to normal it's this liberal attitude that we'll just we'll just go back to 2015 when yeah. obama was president and everything was fine and the world wasn't on fire and it's just, we're still living in that reality and it's so frustrating to see even at the most local levels where you have cranks like me on the phone at a city council meeting screaming at these people and they just believe that it's everything's going to be okay well, the thing is, the reality is, these people are elect, are local electeds, even, you know, uh, Washington's congressional delegation. They are fucked. They, whatever they really believe, and of course they're all neoliberal chills, but there really is nothing they can do. Uh, this is, these are the forces of neoliberal capitalism at work here. There's no, I mean, they are, in a way, like, they are doing everything they can that is in their power to keep these jobs here. It's not enough. And that's, that's the insult, you know, added to the injury of Boeing, just, you know, having this whole region developed for them, having, you know, being the backbone of a lot of, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of livelihoods um, and, and infrastructure development and these, you know, all these cities in the Puget Sound region, that's the insult added to them just saying, well, fuck, we got it. We're, we're just going to move on because um, we can get cheaper labor somewhere else without as many um, management hassles. And the, you know, that's, that's just going to happen. So the insult is you have these elected saying, but we need to kiss up. We need to kiss Boeing's ass and give them all this money. And the truth is that, that's all they really can do. That's the only power they have is to try and bribe them to stay here. But they actually have no real bargaining position. And that money is something, um, but it's not anywhere near like enough to, and there's no, like there isn't an amount of money that would be worth spending that is going to keep them here because there's, these are forces out of their control. The, it, there are powers that can confront Boeing and keep, them from pitting uh, regions against each other, like all corporations do. I mean, Boeing is just this incredible example of a um, phenomenon that has been going on for decades where all manufacturers in America pit uh, workers in other in multiple states against each other and then in other countries threatening to move either overseas or across the country. And 
you could confront that on the federal level, but um, if you wanted to, uh, but that's, you know, out of the hands of our local electeds, or you could confront that with um, uh, cross-border labor solidarity and organized power. And these are two things that we just don't have. So, um, you know, no sympathy for the electeds who, you know, say we need to kiss Boeing's ass and then look like schmucks when, you know, uh, Boeing dines and dashes on them. But uh, really, there's nothing that, I mean, it's out of their fucking hands. It, it is. But I think it also makes it much more insulting that they can't even muster up the language to really express their disgust with the betrayal that Boeing yeah. is laying mm-hmm. upon, especially, especially Everett, where we're already making significant cuts to services here. We've already laid off dozens and dozens and dozens of city workers. Like the, the city's hurting and Mayor Cassie from then until now has been just posting about like, Hey, if you're hurting, make sure to reach out to somebody to your support network. Like we're all hurting right <laughs> oh, now. God. There's a lot of grief right now. And it's like, she's trying to be chief mourner. There's like really no resistance at all. And, uh, you know, she, she endorsed Pete Buttigieg in, in the presidential primary. So like when you have nothing to offer for people, you have no safety net to offer people. You have no demands to say the system's fucked up and we really need to advocate for change here at the state level and all the way up to really alleviate the, the just poverty that's going to be wrecked upon our region. No, none of that. When you have none of that to offer, all you've got is morning and i guess we have to just do better that's that's all you have left and it's it's incredibly empty and it's been depressing to see nobody call them out on that almost nobody in the press nothing else i've seen that really challenges this attitude it's more of a just resignation that this is just the way it is now well it's beyond resignation because half of them are trying to kick the union on boeing's way out for boeing right i mean that's the other part of it too it's like they you know even if they can't do anything about boeing leaving they don't have to carry boeing's water like you know on the way out that's right and they're going to do that. The The mayor is obviously going to do that. I don't see anybody in Everett's leadership or in Snohomish County's leadership, for that matter, anywhere at the city or county level, expressing any dissatisfaction with what Boeing is doing here or putting it into realistic terms about the, the real material harm it's doing to working class families all over Snohomish County, Western Washington, more broadly. It, it, this is this is as mad as they get. Um, when I, I was saying, I was reacting to when Rick Larson said uh, that Boeing's decision was short-sighted. Yeah, when he uses those sort of words, that's how you know he's mad. Yeah, when he uses the word short-sighted, you can tell he's just pissed right off because they never <laughs> say something like that, right? I'm sure yeah. they're just shaking. And then two days later, um, I'm sure you saw this on Twitter. Um, where uh, SPD tweeted a photo of graffiti that said, save a life, hang a cop. I don't know if you remember that from mm-hmm. last week. Yeah. yeah Rick Larson replied to that and said it was very disgusting. So I guess stronger language to offer to graffiti <laughs> than the yeah. just decimation of <laughs> thousands of his loser. constituents jobs. Uh, it's not, stay out of Seattle, Rick. Fuck yeah. Off. Um, right. Need yeah. Your thoughts on anything here. Look, yeah, they could be out there. People like Rick, Rick Larson and this uh, mayor person, of Everett naming the real enemies, naming and explaining the processes and the structures that are making this happen. But instead what they are doing is continuing the deluge of neoliberal ideological poison 
and in particular union bashing that is exactly that is among the things that is uh preventing uh us as a society from actually confront confronting the problem of of these corporations just rolling over all of us and pitting us against each other um yeah we don't have that uh we don't we're so like inundated in this country by this poison that we can't uh take on these issues at the federal level we can't do what any fucking like reasonable country even i'm not even talking about fucking socialism here okay like just preventing fucking uh manufacturers from constantly pitting workers in other states against each other and just saying fuck off you like and or from actual having actually having any kind of labor solidarity um or god forbid class consciousness where you're able to organize everywhere i mean in the uh article up on mechanical freak right now on this exact subject uh Great one of the episodes that is uh brought up is that in fact the uh well i guess you mentioned this that the south carolina plant actually did or no 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 uh yes that the south carolina plant actually did vote to fucking unionize and they just they just took it to the labor board and they're like nah yeah yeah the uh south carolina voted overwhelmingly to join the am which means that they would be in the same union as the you know boeing workers here meaning that they could form a cross you know state unified front against boeing the only way each other the only way and and yeah, and in the way that we know that Boeing understands that too, is they instantly ran to the federal government and basically had the National Labor Review Board block it under the I know uh, it's under Trump, but I mean, you know, okay. let's be serious about what would have happened. That they voted for this. Yeah, so this is 2018. So okay. this is 2018. And um basically the the Labor Review Board said that they can't form a union because even though they all work in aerospace and work in a Boeing plant together, their jobs are too different. They don't have enough in common, which is one of these which like weird... nothing to do with... I mean, that's, that is... Basically, what it actually is, is Boeing went to the National Labor Relations Board and was like, whoa, 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 whoa. The whole reason we moved... For, yep. We bought this plant over here and moved and set up this production this dual production line over here was to get away from that militant union in seattle and they were and the feds were like oh yeah that makes sense and, and, and just shut it down like no that's that the act any whatever they said is complete horseshit that's nonsense well and it, we need to back up a little bit so in 2011 so what happened was in 2008 there was a two-month-long strike at Boeing here in the Puget Sound. And uh, it was over a contract where Boeing was essentially trying to create a two-tier wage system, get rid of pensions, all this kind of stuff, right? So there was a two-month-long strike. In 2009, immediately afterwards, Boeing bought the Vought plant in South Carolina so that they could start moving production to South Carolina. Now, the IAM went to, filed a complaint with the National uh, Labor Relations Board basically saying that this was a clear case of retaliation. 
Now, this wasn't speculation on their part. Literally every executive from Boeing was publicly in the press saying, yes, we are here to retaliate against the IAM Local 751 for going on strike by building that plant in South Carolina. All the way to the point where they actually had Senate, they had a Senate hearing on this. And not not to punish Boeing. This was actually to, to punish the National Labor Relations Board. But one of the Boeing execs got up in the Senate hearing and they're like, yeah, the National Labor Relations Board trying to intervene in this matter is crazy. And he's like, yeah, I mean, all we're trying to do is break a union by moving out of state. And I don't know why they're interfering, right? We're and, just trying to be like any other good old American corporation yeah. in trying to di- like diversify our manufacturing sites is to like discourage labor organizing. Like, come on, we're just like you. You know what we're talking <laughs> exactly. about. Now, and for people who, of course, are young enough to be listening to a podcast, you will not understand because of the world that you've grown up in your entire life. This is actually what they call in the business technically illegal, what Boeing is doing and proudly proclaiming. And the uh, you know national uh, the NLRB basically, when given this request, was immediately put under intense pressure to rule in Boeing's favor. But it was so fucking obvious. There was really nothing they could do other than say that like, yeah, it's clear Boeing's doing this out of an act of retaliation. Now, we never will find out what then LRB's plan was to do with that because Boeing instantly went into backroom negotiations with the international of the IAM, which is the national leadership, and essentially uh, forced them to take away the complaint, right? To withdraw their complaint. But immediately after that, yeah, immediately after that, Congress basically went about rewriting the national labor relation, the NLRB rules, essentially, and basically made sure to make sure this would never happen again. There I'm never sure there's no connection between again. that. Yeah. And so, well, I mean, it it was astounding. Obama came out when the when they were reviewing this. Obama, who's technically because he appoints the members of the NLRB. So he's he's their fucking boss. He literally came out and gave a press conference where he's like, companies should be able to move wherever they want. <laughs> it's like, well, shit. You know, I guess that's the, you know, this was Reagan and the Patco strike, right? When they were like, isn't it illegal to just fire all the, you know, air traffic controllers? And Reagan was like, yeah, so. Yeah, what do you, able, you know, you know do you do? wherever they want, you know, because they like the yeah. weather better, because they prefer the sports teams there. I mean, like, there literally mm-hmm. is no other reason to move. It, yeah. There's nothing. And actually, everything is, a, there's no, there's lots, there's mostly good reasons not to. I mean, it's insane. But also this, you know, maybe this is like a whole other topic, but it should be pointed out that this really, to one degree or another, is the function of the National Labor Relations Board. Yeah. It's to be this thing that sort of brings um, union regulation, you know, and, and sanctification like into the federal government in a way that it can be controlled to a point and like at certain points it's meant that they've that you know those laws and the board have been used to strengthen unions uh but it 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 ultimately just in principle there's a real good argument that things like this in principle take power away from the unions because Oh, of course. The real power is in actual militancy and not like the government saying, yep, uh, you know, uh, based on this technicality, even though you're doing these things, you can't actually form a union. And that's just really essentially giving up power to the federal government that you don't really need to. Um, 
So, but you know, when when the when the national international leadership is bought into that completely um, by decades of this sort of practice of a very successful sort of union regime in this country through the National Labor Relations Board, like uh, you know, it, it is very effective at quashing what uh, actions and unionizations when it really wants. Boeing to. knows when, this for and Boeing, they use it to their advantage. For Boeing, uh, they get to know. pull that. They get to pull that card. Yeah, the the seven eight seven the the dual production in Everett in in South Carolina it it's really like an ideological project and they understood that these tactics could be effective at breaking a union that they just really did not care to have around any longer because it really just cramped their style and it just really became a big headache and you know Boeing alone doesn't have to engineer the way the NLRB responds to these things, like other corporate allies have Mm -hmm. done the work at just chipping away year after year, decade after decade to where Boeing can see the NLRB as a springboard to codify some of what they're trying to do, where we have some mediator who can make this legitimate, that could just make our practice seem completely above board and fine. And then we're clear into the next checkpoint to the next egregiously illegal thing that we try to do that gets back to the same spot. And then we'll just try to leapfrog to the next step. Um, they, they see this as a decades long project for profit and personal enrichment and tearing down organized labor because that, of course, opposes their class interests. And nobody else see, who has any authority to do anything about it seems to recognize that's what's going on or mm-hmm. are in it on themselves. Because this far in, like from Brick Larson's perspective, being in Congress for 20 years, if you either don't know this is going on and are participating in it or are just that stupid and have no fucking clue that this is even on your radar, in which case, what the fuck are you doing there? Yeah. And I mean, I, I thought it was actually really telling that about a week ago, um, just absolute dummy from the Seattle Times, John Talton, had put a column out where even he seemed to like almost be getting it. Where he had this column about how, like, uh, you know what, guys? I think uh, tax payouts maybe aren't actually, like, effective. <laughs> oh, you don't say. Really? Yeah. I mean, he had this whole thing where he was like, you know, Boeing, they're moving all, you know, despite all the money we gave them, uh, you know, the record amounts of free money we gave them, uh, they're moving to South Carolina anyways. And it's really weird because South Carolina has all these problems at the plant. The FAA is like constantly up their ass. They had to ground. They ended up having to ground some 787s earlier this year because uh, the back of them might fall off. Uh, one of them literally decompressed in, in mid-flight uh, while passengers were on it. Uh, and so they realized that might be a problem. Um, and it was due to uh, faulty construction at the South Carolina plant. But the thing is, it's like... A, Boeing doesn't care because they know that no matter how many people they kill, they'll never really be forced to pay for it. Uh, but the other part of it, too, is that you're right. This is a political project, right? And this is what Tolton never could come to say in his column, right? Or figure out on his own, maybe, which is that uh, Boeing is a, it's doing something that's not just about profits, right? This is about power in the workplace, right? And who right. gets to make the decisions and who gets to call the shots. And in the workplace the only position of the worker is absolute servitude. And the IAM here especially challenged that. And that's what, that was what was unacceptable to Boeing, right? That, that was the high crime that has to be punished. 
Absolutely. And after the merger with McDonnell Douglas in, in 1999 and the financialization of Boeing, the people who have in these decision-making positions are going to business schools where they learn sick shit like this, where mm. they are taught that your ultimate goal as a manager, as a corporate executive is to fuck labor as much as you possibly can, because they are your biggest liability, your biggest overhead, your biggest roadblock to personal power and enrichment and you must do everything you can to limit that for your personal gain and uh two gener- uh, two decades of that has now resulted in entire management at Boeing where that is the core belief where they believe labor is is a obstacle to their success and a political group to defeat and that once they're able to do so, then finally, then they can rid of themselves of all of these headaches and just enrich themselves to a limitless degree. It, it doesn't matter to them how how contradicting that is or how absurd it sounds. They're mm. you know already in this twisted belief that I'm going to be rich one day. They're in that very classically American mm. belief that I'm not a millionaire yet. And all I have to do is advance the priorities of my millionaire managers, and then I'll get to be just like them. And Boeing has spent 20 years building an entire leadership that believes that. And this is where it's ended us, where it's mass layoffs, consolidation, subcontracting, cost cutting, regulatory capture to a high, like hyper degree, really, really mm-hmm. accelerated yeah. And now it's really beginning to fall apart, as we always knew it would because of the science of Marxism. But I think those contradictions aren't aren't so blatant that neoliberals like our, our current political leadership are finally admitting, OK, maybe there's something going on here. Yeah. Well, you know, they're the kind of people who like they're as they're falling off the Titanic as it gets fully 90 degrees you know, up in the water, they're like falling out going, are boats supposed to do this? And they're just now getting the idea that maybe there's a problem, right? You know? Perhaps they'll get a task force together to investigate whether there's a problem. And then later they'll uh, prescribe some possible solutions and it's going to contain the word innovate. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of which, uh, you know, that's exactly what they're fucking doing right now, right? So the mayor of Everett has come up with a, a plan, right? So, look, there's a lot of doomsaying going on here, and I know that we've said over and over again, this is going to be thousands of jobs at Boeing alone, which just means, you know, tens of thousands of jobs in the area. Uh, but we're not giving enough credit to the mayor of Everett. Uh, she's got a good head on her. She's got a plan. What's the plan, Ben? Well, so far, uh, her plan is two choices for Boeing workers, which is to uh, basically learn to code, as uh, <laughs> liberals love to say, yes. or their next favorite suggestion, to become an entrepreneur. Oh, um, fuck yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Um, now, to provide a little bit of background to Everett Mayor Cassie Franklin's thinking, um, she not only endorsed Pete Buttigieg in the presidential primary, she also is a graduate of a program called the New Deal Leaders. Deal is all capitalized. I don't know what it stands for. don't really care. Um, she was one of two Washington graduates, her and uh, candidate current state senator Marco Elias, in fact, of this program that is heavily publicized and influenced by one Pete Buttigieg. So her whole line of thinking is is Buttigieg thought. 
that's that's the <laughs> ideology <laughs> she's holding Buttigieg's thought <laughs> Ab- yes absolutely um which which makes some sense you know you go but look at um Buttigieg's record as mayor of South Bend they also made cuts to transit and boosted funding of police so there's a lot of parallels there but her Luckily, plan nothing bad happened from that either too no nothing bad happened it was just it just went swimmingly beyond that um, when Boeing announced their consolidation a couple of weeks ago, uh, Mayor Cassie said that she was going to um, partner, collaborate with some other institutions in the area that was going to help these um, dislocated workers was the phrase I believe she used. Um, and in addition to that, she's going to consider regulations that make work from home vin- um, businesses more attractive, uh, wherever it can be a work from home hub whatever that means more to come on that. Apparently these people have so bought into the neoliberal bullshit that like it's, it's regulations that are really Mm -hmm. like holding back an explosion of, of uh, entrepreneurial job growth that they believe that the flip side of that is that little tweaks and regulations can cause like (laughs) uh, an explosion of entrepreneurial job growth and you i you just fucking love to see it i have high high hopes that um everett's really going to take off in this uh new era well it was you know this is you know already sounding extremely reminiscent of when we talked with uh rebecca parson on the show and we were learning about the mayor of aberdeen who was looking at this you know Again, ex-urban town that's completely dying from a collapsed industry that was the entire like lifeblood of the town. And this mayor, uh, probably also upholding Buttigieg's thought, was basically like, well, build a new waterfront, get rid of some deregulation. <laughs> yeah, get rid of some regulations. And then uh, Amazon will move here. As if ever, an Amazon, an Amazon-type corporation in every small town, you know? I mean, it's just, it's, it's pure insanity. But look, right, go well, on. When I think Aberdeen, I think tech startup. I mean, the the two <laughs> phrases are synonymous with one another. Um, you know, uh, she told us the incredible fact that like one in fifteen people in Aberdeen is homeless. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, it's absolutely it's like, insane. I thought it was higher than that. I, I recall seeing a clip on Twitter last year where the U.S. military is rolling probably billions of dollars worth of military equipment through that town, while like one in fifteen, one in ten people slept on the street. And it's, yes. it's a choice we make every day. Um, mm-hmm. For for Everett in particular, what the administration has come up with, with learning the code or becoming an entrepreneur is just absolutely bulletproof. And I think really offers a long-term vision for how we're going to see a post-aerospace future in Everett and Snohomish County. Well, well, Um, hit us with some of the details because we love to learn to code on this show. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's where we'll start. So the learning to code portion is really an IT boot camp. It's a (laughs) six-week program that will be ran by Everett Community College that is an online, self-paced, student-centered IT boot camp meant for anybody impacted by COVID-19, not just the Boeing workers, even though, you know, in her reaction to the Boeing layoff, she said she'd be doing this for them. No, it's for anybody whose job has been impacted by COVID-19. Wow, mad props to Colin for getting this contract from the city of Everett to expand the (laughs) Magnolia Mindset uh, Machine Learning Academy. 
You know, I I, I didn't market. know what Colin's last name was, but I kept seeing a Colin in these documents, and I just had a thought. Now I know. Good on him. Well, Colin's <laughs> going to be cashing in because the city of Everett will be paying $52,000 to every community college to run this program for a grand total of 10 people. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking whips. Holy Which, shit. by the way... It's just nothing. This is just nothing. It, yeah, and it's worth... It's worth noting that before the 787 announcement, Boeing's already laid off. I mean, just in the last few months, I think 4,000 people. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's been a huge impact on the local yeah. economy, and Boy, it has solicited exactly zero reactions from the city that they live in. So this this these 10 slots uh, should definitely help. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, um, there is hope. There is hope, Brian, because for an additional $3,500 per participant, they could expand the access to this self-driven IT boot camp to 12 people. <laughs> so there, there's hope yet. But if, if, if an IT boot camp didn't exactly, you know, I'm not really like a techie person, you know, perhaps that's just not a field of work that I'm really interested in getting into. Well, do not worry because your other choice is to become an entrepreneur because uh, the city is also going to collaborate with the Northwest Innovation Research Center, which sounds completely made up and not yeah. like a CIA organization. Hey, I create a scam. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a multi-level marketing yeah. um, but they're going to create a program called Project Reinvent for the cost of $22,700 that is meant as a small business retention and recovery program that targets, quote, business innovators. Now, these so-called innovators will be assisted with access to a regional talent of dislocated workers, along with the project's efforts to, uh, quote, provide an opportunity for dislocated workers to share their extensive knowledge and skills to improve the success level of existing small businesses, whatever that means. Mm. Um, it, and for it everyone is, else, it, not so much as a knife to disembowel yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it is an aggressively neoliberal project uh, where the ambitions may sound nice, but it's really just another plan to funnel public dollars into private hands to do whatever they want with, with almost no dollars. accountability. I, I think this is basically just, this really just reads as like quick, like come up with something so that in this dire moment, we can put out a press release saying we're doing something and no one will care to look into it down the road. They probably won't even get the 10 people to come to the coding boot camp and they won't end up spending the 50 grand and they'll find a way to give away this twenty five thousand dollars to the to some you know they, um, they absolutely will now if if your suspicion greg was that this was just a uh, let's say make work project for positive press Boy, would you be right. Now, the way that the Innovation Center is going to receive that about $25,000 is through completing some certain tasks the city has laid out for them. The first among them is to write a workshop curriculum for businesses, workers, and entrepreneurs. For that, they'll be paid $5,500. To update their website to accept participant information, as I'm sure we may have done once or twice with a Google form, they're going to get five grand for that. Um, to update the equipment in the, excuse me, their innovation lab called the Lab at Everett, and that's the Lab one word at symbol Everett 
for the project. <laughs> the city's going to pay $2,200 for that, for the nonprofit to buy new equipment, whatever that might be. But the remainder of the cash will be spent to hire a part-time project manager for 10 grand. Um, and in the agreement, the city is expecting no analysis on return on investment, no obligation to update the city on anything, nothing at all. If they complete those four tasks, this nonprofit is going to get the 22 grand. Wow. <laughs> so just nothing. Just, just, yeah. just nothing. absolutely nothing. Um, and this, this is basically going to be the tone going forward. This is um, just the insult. This is just yeah. the insult. That's all well, this is. There's the no actual, um, uh, no actual effort, no militancy, no explanation to a populace of what's going on here. Just a dick slap in the face. That's it, all it is, and it, it doubles down on the city of Everett's just awful response to the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. Cities were given um, money from the CARES Act to do kind of what whatever they wanted with. They say, hey, here's a lump sum of money. Um, distribute it how you like, you know, provide relief however you best see fit. And some cities around us, Edmonds and Linwood included, um, created programs where residents could get $1,000 directly from the city as a part of this grant money. Um, Marysville even, which is run by completely a Republican-run city, even decided yeah. to do this. I mean, albeit at a much smaller scale, but they decided to do it. Everett, on the other hand, has exclusively spent that grant money on small businesses and nonprofits through three separate rounds, if, if I recall right, only to those entities. No yeah. money has gone directly to any resident in the city at all. Nobody suggested it. There's been no talk of it whatsoever. Um, I, I had uh, council member Liz Vogelli get back to me on Twitter earlier today, in fact, on that exact point. And she said, well, well, that's true on the surface. The city of Everett has given money to nonprofits who then help people directly with rent, food, utilities, <laughs> et cetera. There's no need for the middleman. There's no dedication at all to directly help workers. And every single move made by the city government and especially by the mayor of Everett just really shows that she believes her political base are business owners and homeowners and everyone else be damned. That's the only people she cares to really cater to. Well, you know, the fact that you don't believe that people need to, you know, get their beak a little wet on this project. <laughs> you know. But yeah, I mean, this is like the this is how sort of the neoliberal system works, is everything is just these payoffs to the capitalist class, right? And what you know, to their nonprofit tax havens and things like that. And whatever trickles down, I guess, is what we'll get, right? The, I mean, the trickle it. down assistance. That's that's basically yeah. what this is. That's the philosophy of it. And it's it's even more concerning when you look at the mayor Cassie Franklin's background is she was she ran the nonprofit Cocoon House, which of course deals mm -hmm. with housing insecurity and at risk youth. And these are still like I wouldn't think as somebody who worked in in that community of people and and thought one day, man, if I was just mayor of the city, what would I do? Oh, I know what I would do. I would set up an IT boot camp for disaffected workers. Like it's it's insane thinking, and it's just so transparently ladder climbing, careerist thinking, and uh, it, it's really really disgusting to see. Um, but I, I guess we couldn't we could have seen it coming because when uh, Cassie Franklin was CEO of Cocoon House in 2012, she also laid off a bunch of workers. So go figure. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I a lot of it is very reminiscent of I remember when I used to work at this large machine shop in uh, Arlington that we'd have these United Way drives right at the shop and they'd have the United Way come and they would tell us about poverty in Snohomish County. And I was looking around, I was like, motherfucker, you looking at it like and I remember the, co- the company would always be like, you know, uh, give to United Way. It'll help with poverty in Arl- or in you know, Arlington or Snohomish. And it's always like, motherfucker, you just paid better wages. That would do more than giving any fucking money to United Way. By the way, that company, which at one point had 800 people, is now down to 50 because of the 737 Max debacle. Oh, but- great. But, you know, so, I mean, think about the amount of money that company probably raised for United Way, all of it uh, completely thrown in the trash because they laid off hundreds of people. I, I, it, it's it's astonishing. And it's just this, I, I it's a lack of vision. Some of it is just pure kickback shit, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But it's lack of vision. And it's just a belief that nothing is really possible, you know? So Absolutely. All you can, I think it is a deep-seated belief that nothing is... I mean, again, that's Buttigieg thought. Nothing is truly possible. We can't really do anything. And, um, you know, not only in Mayor Franklin's reaction to the coming layoffs... But you can really tell there's no long-term vision because of what she's planned for the city. The massive cuts to social services, um, really boosting and funding to cops because apparently we need those. And this delusional belief that we're always going to be an aerospace-based economy, even when the planet boils two degrees hotter, even when it boils three degrees mm-hmm. hotter, we're always going to be behind aerospace. There's there's no long Even when the company's anymore. actively leaving. <laughs> Yeah, even even when the company couldn't make it more abundantly clear to you, to their workers, to everyone else on the fucking planet that what they're trying to do is to bust unions and to make as much money as possible, um, just just doesn't just doesn't believe it. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's the sort of it's just hard to explain and watch. And we read on the show. Uh, an article from the mayor who is proposing like an amended budget, like every city is at this point that we probably read this maybe three months ago, although it could have been 50 years ago, who knows? (laughs) But uh, you know, the mayor of Everett was basically like when someone asked, like you're cutting everything except the police who are getting like a 3% bump and it just deadpan responded. Well, when there's an economic crisis, you're going to need a lot more police. And I just thought it was like, the quote was because, there tends that tends to go with increased unrest. Unrest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the quote that she has repeated many times and has never once explained further what the fuck well, that even means. She said this more than once. I, look, yes, and I'll and I'll give her credit because Jenny Durkin believes the exact same fucking thing, and every mayor on the West Coast believes the exact same thing, and every mayor in America believes the exact same thing. I'm just glad that the mayor at Everett finally had the guts to say it. she says this and says like there's there's going to be unrest there's going to be i'm trying to remember what the quote was because this this was as you mentioned maybe about 50 years ago um (laughs) there's going to be a lot of grief there's going to be a lot of despair there's going to be a lot of unrest and we need public safety you know more now than ever and that was her justification that's been it over and over Right. And and yeah. when she gets a little bit of pushback on that at all, or to try to quell any skepticism, she repeatedly has said the specific phrase, Everett has one of the most progressive, innovative police departments in the country. That exact <laughs> phrase I've seen maybe four times. And yeah. 
nobody knows what that means. I don't know what that means. So when protests happen in Everett, are they going to behave like Seattle's cops? Because they were also hailed as progressive and innovative. They've gone mm-hmm. through lots of training. Are they going to behave like World New York's class. cops, LA's, anyone else's that are you know supposedly gone through this training? And um, you know we have seen sort of a ascendant protest movement in Everett and Snohomish County. And you can tell the cops are just, they're just, they're just waiting. They're just salivating. They're just drooling at the mouth, waiting to get a taste of what they've mm-hmm. seen in Seattle because they've been bored. They're jealous. They want to, they want to yeah. gas people. They want to spray people. They want some of the action and they cannot wait for it to happen. And we have seen examples in protests in Everett where uh, on, on one occasion where a protester was struck by a car um, the entire scene was surrounded by cops in a second, meaning they were just there staking mm-hmm. out the location, waiting to pounce on something. They let the driver go. They charged two protesters with crimes. And uh, to everyone around in the area was justifying why the driver made the decision to go from a completely stop state and just run into people. And uh, it, we've seen this repeated over and over and over again. And um, it, it, if things really do escalate as far as protest pressure is considered, which it probably will and deserves to, um, we're also fully expecting that Everett Police is going to respond in like how Seattle has, like any other cop department in this country has. Like we know how this is going to happen and we have a mayor that's a completely delusional state that thinks um, somehow they are just going to behave better. Yeah, I mean, in, in Seattle, we saw Bellevue PD officers volunteering to come into Seattle and essentially crack heads because they were so jealous. Uh, and, you know, Everett, too, I mean, it, it's worth noting, you know, I, I work at a job in Everett where I have to drive down Broadway uh, for quite a while every day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to go home and get to the work. And uh, there is a fuck ton of cops in Everett. Like, way more than normal it feels like at least on broadway i feel like if i go more than a couple blocks without seeing a cop i'm always like huh that's weird you know like they're, yeah, they're concentrated in 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 the in two spots in the city predominantly that i've noticed as a resident um in south everett by the city limits um where of course there are less affluent communities and of mm-hmm. course, they have to have their police presence there. That's also coincidentally where a lot of youth gang activity supposedly is focused, is concentrated right there. Who would have thought? And mm-hmm. where where you have noticed in the north of Everett and Broadway, where all of the social services are, are consolidated into that spot, which of course, you know, the police have to monitor who is accessing those services and why are they in this area? And they better be acting orderly or else we're going to go and crack heads and throw them in jail. Um, and yet they continue to complain that they've been understaffed. And that has been a really big motivator or at least justification why the mayor has preserved every penny of their funding. Um, they are getting one position cut. And I believe it's a civilian records role, uh, but it represents 0.1% of their budget. Meanwhile, the city's human needs budget is being cut in half. So yeah. it really goes to show that they believe whatever the cops are telling them, they're still telling them we're understaffed. They're still telling them we badly need this money. Um, they're still saying that even after they got $6 million from Trump's Justice Department, even after they've got new equipment funded by DHS, they're still saying we need more, we need more, we need more. Mm-hmm. And there's a mayor in power right now who's completely willing to buy into that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, to – I want to, like, ask two, like – questions to kind of wrap this up here but they're big questions with 
so I don't know if we really put uh, a number on it, but like over the last 20 years, Washington State has paid out in direct subsidies and tax breaks so over $10 billion, right, in addition to all the mm-hmm. other infrastructure, right? Do we have a, a it's better 12. sense of that? Okay, 12.5. 12. 12. This is the direct money and, and state tax uh, breaks. Um, a lot of it is just direct cash, though. Um, mm-hmm. Does this, you know, this final move, of course, in that time, they moved their corporate headquarters to Chicago. They opened up a new production line in another state, and now they're moving more of that production to that to South Carolina um, after, yeah, 12-some billion dollars plus everything else. Does this, does, does this end now, finally, in this country, this corporate subsidy bullshit, this... this um, this begging corporations to come play with you in your yard. Like, is this over? Like we saw cracks in this with only because they fucking overreached with the miss, the miss Amazon pageant, uh, where New York eventually told them to fuck off. Um, but you know, uh, this is the standard practice for all, for everybody, any fucking company. They're looking for breaks everywhere. Now, you know, Amazon made a big deal of it and made everybody, like, kiss their ass nationwide instead of just going directly, strategically um, to New York where they wanted to go, and like Boeing has done in Washington for 20 years, like go directly to the governor's office and say, here's the deal. Um, but they've also done it at an enormous scale and completely reneged on the, uh, you know, perceived, uh, reason for, for all this fucking money being given to them. Does this fucking Mm -hmm. finally end this? Like, does this break through even in what, I mean, I'm not even talking about Washington state. This is a story like no one should shut up about ever again. Like you should be just hearing Mm -hmm. this constantly in these numbers these should this should be like on the lips of everyone in america when any fucking idiot talks about the need to kiss businesses ass to get them to stick around um is this does this have any uh does this have legs like just is this over now is this period like <laughs> like end now how can it go on not not at least here not in everett not in snohomish county um i think there is just so Boeing has captured so much of the political energy and political machines here where nobody really has even become conscious that there is a life post Boeing, that there is a life post aerospace, and that everything must be expended in order to keep those jobs and more importantly, keep that company here. And if they're not staying here, then we're not doing something right. The reactions to this still show that as the predominant way of thinking. And I I don't know how many times this has to happen before that breaks. I think it's going to have to get a lot worse before that happens. I think there's going to have to be a true left opposition that develops in these exurban cities for there to be any significant pushback on this way of thinking. Cause so far there really isn't much. Um, and I think that it's inevitably going to happen because as we can't build more airplanes, we, we just can't do that. Um, the international civil aviation organization of the United nations said even a few years ago that you air travel basically has to taper off very rapidly. And if we want to continue doing that, 
we have to replace every single aircraft on the planet with ones constructed from lighter materials and ones that use engines that operate on biofuels. And in order to supply those biofuels, <laughs> we need to build basically a large biorefinery, that, that's how they describe it, at a pace of basically one a day in order to just even make the fuel to the planes that we have to replace. And that is an ideal scenario to get to the minimum target of two degrees of warming. And two degrees of warming is catastrophe. That's what the United Nations classifies as the threshold of catastrophe. That's their language, not mine. And so it's going to continue. This is going to continue to happen. I don't think this crack has broken that thought, at least at at this level of thinking, um, at least this level of government. But it's going to continue happening. Eventually, it's going to have to break. And I fear that it's going to have to get much worse before it goes, uh, which is, you know, heartbreaking because, if you know, you guys know it's avoidable. It's entirely avoidable. Yeah. It's entirely expected. We know this is coming. We can plan for this. And we're going to watch them as they actively choose not to. Yeah. yeah and I think and I think the thing is, too, is that when in 2014, when the state of Washington gave Boeing $8.7 billion in no strings attached money, it really did the number. It was, it did more than this move did to actually affect this payout system. Like it actually did kind of shock the conscience, I think, of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you can find tons of articles, including in places like the Wall Street Journal at the time, going like, uh, has this gotten out of control? Right. <laughs> like this is insane. And, even at the Miss Amazon pageant, they didn't ask for that amount of no, money. No, now, not, now, not the, remotely. Yeah. Now, the the real problem is, is that maybe some people like dummy John Tolton at the Seattle Times are going to figure out, oh, maybe this is a problem. But right now in South Carolina, where they gave Boeing, they also gave Boeing money. They gave them significantly less. I think they gave Boeing $450 million for the South Carolina plant, um, which, by the way, almost paid for the entire plant. But... In South Carolina, where they gave Boeing less money, right now they're saying, "Well, is proof this works? Give the company money; they'll they'll move the stuff here, and then they'll sure. expand it." Well, yeah, you know? of course, yeah. So, so, so we're on the. They can't actually believe coaster. that, though. I mean, the, the, if there I, are, did are any of them ever that, believe it? No, but like <laughs> that's the thing is like this is just this this is just the script. This is this poison ideology mm-hmm. that they can stay oh, in the know. script. So they've got the press release. Yeah. They can say, look, we're doing this. This is good. We did good. Our plans work. Keep doing it. But obviously like that they're fine. They'll be, yeah. they'll be out of by the time, you know, look, mm-hmm. they probably will be in South Carolina for a long time. <laughs> I mean, like we will, yeah. you know, until the oceans boil and swallow us all. But like, uh, you know, the people blame who that on labor deals will be gone. Yeah. Know? Well, I think the thing is, too, and this is part of the problem, right, is, uh, yeah, in Everett, people are uh, on one level rightfully saying, like, you know, how are we going to not be an aerospace town? Like, because and it's not just because they it's it's sort of the coal mining thing, like where it's it's not that people love fucking mining coal and it's not that people love fucking building planes. It's that's the only good fucking paying job in town. And the thing is, is we have it completely mixed up in our heads. Boeing didn't give you that good paying job. And South Carolina is absolute proof of that, right? The wages there fucking suck. The IAM gave you that good paying job. The yep. union gave you that good paying job. And other jobs doing things that don't fucking boil us alive 
could be good paying jobs too, but you have to have labor organization. That's the secret. It's not fucking state payouts. It's not giving Boeing whatever they want. None of that shit works, right? And Detroit should, should have been plenty of example of that, right? Absolutely. Uh, we, we've seen yeah. this play out before. The yeah. lessons should be learned. It, you don't have to look far to see exactly what you should be doing to uh, oppose a giant conglomerate's uh, behavior to try to break uh, labor. We know we've seen this happen before. It's It's the script they play every single time. And, you know, it's just, it's frustrating to think that instead we could have had a city leadership that mm-hmm. demands more from Boeing that says, this is a sharp betrayal to our community and everything we've done for you and everything we maintain for you. How could you do this to us and lay out a vision that is post aerospace that says, we're going to use this gigantic manufacturing capacity to build trains that we're mm-hmm. going to build electric infrastructure that we're going to use the world's largest building by volume to do something other than build fossil fuel guzzling machines that fly in the sky. We're going to do something different because we see what's coming and we're going to plan ahead for that. It's, it's this awful dichotomy where I, I see them um, see the city of Everett pass a climate action plan. And then on the other believes, yeah, we're going to have a lot of extensive air travel in the 2040 decade. And we're going to make a return on that for the airport. Like what, what kind of delusional thinking has you believing that mm. we're going to be in 2040 and flying in planes? We should not be, if we're doing that, we're fucked and you've made a grave mistake. Yeah. And the thing is, is, and again, this is the lack of vision, right? The Puget Sound has an industrial base that's probably matched by only a dozen or so cities in the fucking planet, regions in the planet, right? Like Built on organized labor, absolutely. Built, built absolutely on organized labor. And the thing is, that industrial base, I mean, the high-tech manufacturing that goes on around here that's built around aerospace could build literally anything else, right? This is where you have to have like any amount of vision. Like, you have this whole base of workers with skills, experience, things like that, that you could be throwing at the climate crisis and stuff. But instead, we're going to completely squander it, turn them homeless, and have the police fucking go murder them in the streets. And that right. is, that's the lack of vision of capitalism, and that's the thing that's going to fucking kill us all. Right. All, all neoliberals know are IT boot camps, tax breaks, mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship, and it's disgusting. And plans. More plans. Okay, so... We've talked, to, you know, we've talked about how this is going to be. This is my last, like, sort of big question. We've sort of said a lot about this around the edges and like how many people are going to be laid off. How many, you know, how many then outside of Boeing vendors that's going to affect? We're talking about at least tens of thousands, like in a very direct, concrete way. How do we paint a picture of like what effect that is going to have in the coming years on the? economy for like everyone else who lives in the Puget Sound region. region. I don't know. Uh, It would be really tough to measure because of all of the cascading effects that that would have all of the other linked industries that are connected to aerospace. Cause you know, it isn't just like uh, the port that ships them out or the rail terminals that moves them around or the airports that operate the giant planes that ship the other planes inside of them. Um, It isn't just the fabrication plants or it's, it's also like, um, real estate and restaurants and other small businesses connected to those workers that will just decimate. So you can have a pretty good estimate of, okay, well, aerospace controls like 40% of Snohomish County's jobs, but how many other jobs do those jobs support? So I think the, the, 
ripple effect you'll see is just a complete decimation of not just Snohomish County's economy, but Western Washington's industrial economy more broadly. And all our politicians so far have considered to do about it is shrug their shoulders and see what happens and hope it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Maybe look at it. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, that's sort of the Amazon giveaway philosophy. So maybe I'll just get a job at Amazon when it's done. I mean, to give a small idea of uh, like a minor impact that you just wouldn't even contemplate is that in the Boeing healthcare plan, they actually pay for massages, right? Which that, amongst other reasons, is why you find a lot of massage shops around the Everett Boeing plant. The issue that explains being, a lot. The issue being is that's paid for basically because there is a cutout that the union got in the healthcare plan for this, right? So that's blowing my mind a little bit, Brian. I had no idea, but that explains so much why there's so many massage <laughs> places around here. I had yep. no idea. Yeah, uh, right. And the thing is, so, and that's just to give you an idea. I mean, that's one little thing, right? That's the million little knock-on effects that this will have. And people in Seattle, I mean, we don't got to tell people in Everett that they're going to be fucked, you know, by this whole thing. People in Seattle are blissfully living completely unaware uh, that this manufacturing giant has any impact on their lives. And uh, I think they're going to find that they're going to be sorely fucking mistaken. Well, I saw the Seattle you... Times. I, I, and I've been working. I did. I saw a headline and like read a paragraph of something. Maybe it's something you posted on the Slack. I don't know. It was like, guys, come on. Yeah, you know what? We may lose all of these whatever uh, aerospace Boeing jobs, but uh the seattle area is gonna be fine like we've got a lot going for us like you know stiff upper lip don't don't uh don't worry be happy basically like it's not gonna mm-hmm. be a big deal oh, it's like, there's, yeah i've seen a lot of that too like dude yeah they're they're not aware of what's gonna happen they're not, not a, they feel it seems like they're not allowed to say things are bad they just can't bring themselves to the point where they say things are bad or else they're going to be scolded. I don't, I don't get it. Well, that would demand yeah. action. You know, I mean, that's the yeah. story of our entire politics is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when it's, it's admit there's a problem because that would imply you have to do something about it. Yeah. And it, it's worth noting just, you know, uh, one sort of quick thing is bare minimum. The thing that you can say 100% is going to happen is this region is going to get a lot more unequal than it already is. And I don't know. I mean, you go around the city. I've lived here for a while now uh, in this area. I've, I've worked in Snohomish for a long time now. Uh, I don't want, <laughs> I, I don't know that we can bear it. It's, it's, it's already fucking so awful the and all we're saying is don't worry it's going to get worse right we have no political capacity to respond to this especially Mm -hmm. like seattle and king county has a lot of political infrastructure there's a lot of uh, a lot of groups there that are tuned into these sort of things that can pressure their local officials and try to steer them in the right direction and Snohomish County does not have a lot of that, and especially Everett does not. And so they are completely at the whims at whatever these ex-urban city officials come up with. And it's, it's shit like the entrepreneur workshops. It's stuff like that. And there's really nothing standing in their mm-hmm. way. And so I think when it really begins to crumble apart and aerospace begins to leave the region more and more, 
you're going to see a greater reliance on the cops to enforce order because they're going to offer people nothing else. Because if a pandemic can't motivate you to offer something directly to people to help them out, I don't know what will. Um, and when we see unemployment rates skyrocket because you know, Boeing is finally falling apart, the reaction we're going to get is, oh, shucks. Well, look, we've expanded the IT boot camp to 15 people. So there's five extra slots. You may have like a, a way in. So don't lose hope yet. And then that's going to be it. And that's that's all we have to look forward to. And it's it's incredibly dismal. Yeah, and I will say this last weekend I was up in Effort, actually. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was up in Arlington and I was hanging out with some friends. And of course, you know, when you work in the trades or whatever, it's just all the stories of everybody that you've ever worked with, like where they're at right now, right? It's just the where are they now moment. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy that I used to work with who had been in the a machinist for at least 15 years, uh, who got laid off in uh early summer this year. And he now works at the prison as a prison guard. So that's the fucking future. Yeah. What what else is there anymore? There's like all all you have to do, like if you're just trying to make ends meet, your options are few and far between. And, you know, your governments are not giving anything for you to fall back on at all. So what else is there to turn to? Governments are concerned. They can always pay half of the working class to guard the other half of the working class in prison. Yeah, there you go. basically. Well, shit, on that very optimistic note, Ben, I I think we'll call it uh, a night here. Thanks so much for coming on, man. That, of that course, was... thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, thank you so much. This has been super fun and informative. Really cool to know that. Um, and honestly, actually, it is good to have this realization that um, actually owing is the perfect uh, encapsulation of literally every single thing that is uh, just devastatingly horrible about our neoliberal capitalist moment. Uh, absolutely. Every every part, every corner you look at, Boeing is there. And uh, I feel like it's going to be that way for a very long time. Um, especially things heat up around here in Everett. Next year, we're having our first ever districted elections. Um, the city council is going to be completely remade. So it's going to be very interesting how that plays out when all the layoffs are happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd like to, you know, mention that on the mechanical website, you can read an article that was definitely not written about me. My job uh, relies on Boeing on some level, uh, but you can read an uh, article we have up there about Boeing. And we're also going to be posting an article from Ben's blog about this uh, coding academy, the the Everett Post Boeing Coding Academy, and also check out what's what's the name of your your blog, Ben? Local Crank, localcrank.substack.com. Yeah, All right, so check that out. We'll put a link uh, to that in our show notes and everything. Definitely check that. Anything else you want to promote, call out, say? Absolutely, yeah. In uh, Snohomish County in Everett, Sunday, October 18th, from 1 to 3, there will be a rally at Broadway and Everett Avenue and a march to the sheriff and county council offices. This is organized by the Snohomish County Equity Alliance and Snohomish County DSA. Uh, we will be out there bringing pressure directly to these people to uh, defund EPD, defund the Snohomish County Sheriff's Department, to uh, no more youth jails, and to establish much more transparency and oversight to our police departments that uh, every day are demonstrating to us that they uh, want us in prison and want us dead. 
Okay, that's this Sunday, right? That is uh, this Sunday. Yeah, I believe the October 18th, 1 to 3, uh, Broadway and Everett Avenues. There you go. All right. So you guys have homework. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, check it out. Uh, all right. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out. And uh, definitely thanks for coming on, Ben. And Thank you for having me. Yeah. And we'll talk to or see everybody or whatever later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>